It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This Locked On Podcast is brought to you by Home Chef. Now that the novelty of the new year has dwindled down, how are your resolutions coming? One of mine was to order less, take out, cook more at home. But I'll be honest, I haven't been consistent. That is until I found Home Chef. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify the cooking experience and without robbing you of the joy of putting a dish together yourself. I'm Pescatarian, and they cater to a variety of dietary needs. I had this super refreshing ginger sesame salmon, a beautiful trout dish, and a super comforting shrimp and vegetable orzo dish, all of which took me less than 30 minutes to put together. For a limited time right now, Home Chef is offering all of our listeners 18 free meals plus free shipping on your first box, and free dessert for life at homechef.com slash locked on. That's homechef.com slash locked on for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash locked on must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. It is the Locked On Bengals podcast with your hosts Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisko. Find us on Twitter at Joe Goodberry and at Jake underscore NFL. Please like, subscribe, and share as we try to grow this community and pump out daily Bengals content just for you. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, Bengals fans. It's time for Lockdown Bengals, whatever time of day you've tuned in. I hope you've just gotten into your car and you told your smart device to listen to podcasts Lockdown Bengals because that is a great habit to form. The easiest way for you to listen to us at a convenient time for you while you're sitting in traffic. Hopefully the Bengals haven't done anything frustrating to add to your road rage, but we're here to keep you company, tell you stuff about the Bengals. Today, another day of the combine has passed. There's a little bit of Bengals news that we want to talk about first. Notably, the coaching list has been finalized and released by the Bengals. Tem Lukabu has been confirmed as the linebackers coach. And two names we haven't talked about or we haven't seen reported previous to today were also on the roster, kind of low-end coaching hires, not going to have a huge impactful role. Bragg Cragthorpe will be an offensive assistant. He was a walk-on quarterback at LSU, and immediately after he finished his time as a quarterback for LSU, he became the team's offensive analyst for three years. So that would put him at about 25, 26 years old. Another young guy staying on brand. They also added Jordan Kovach, who will be a defensive quality control coach. He was previously at Michigan. He was an assistant defensive and special teams coach. He did play safety in the NFL for for a few years. He was often on practice squads. But he'll be making the jump to the NFL with the Bengals as a defensive quality control coach. And this is normal. I mean, you bring these low-end guys onto the staff and you don't hear about them for a while next thing you know they get elevated to a position coach next thing you know they're paul gunther right i mean that's remember when he was talked about as man we really like this this assistant and then he was a you know linebackers coach and then defensive coordinator so uh sometimes they're they're gone in a year or two and you never hear from them again they move around the ranks from teams to down back down to college that even high school sometimes so nothing really to say other than here are two more names I'm interested to see how, see how Lukabu does with the linebackers. He's a guy we mentioned spent a lot of his coaching career coaching outside linebackers of 3-4 defenses, so he was coaching pass rushers. He also had a year of, uh, I believe he had a year of coaching the defensive line before he moved to linebackers. So it'll be interesting to see how he does with the whole unit. At Mississippi State, he was coaching just a linebacker, so he did get the entire unit there. That's his most recent experience, so... Could be an interesting guy. I, I'm pretty interested to see how his career progresses as a coach. And the linebackers couldn't have been any coached any worse than they were last two years under Jim Hazlitt, and that's a guy with a lot of experience. So I don't know. I'm willing to roll the dice on anybody at this point. It's just 
you know they've had such a uh, a poor performance there for so long and then now hopefully if new talent comes in you know it's his guys and he can pick um, one or two of them and um try and turn this unit around right that's what we hope for also in the news today for the Bengals, Jim Turner talked to ESPN reporter Kat Terrell and is exactly who we were afraid he would be exactly who, to borrow from Dennis Green, we thought he was. And we're not going to let him off the hook on this podcast. That's right. He, it's mostly just saying this, saying the things we thought with putting his foot in his mouth or not taking really any blame or credit for the complete dumpster fire that was the Dolphins. He apologized that people had to find out what happened in the locker room. He cited that he was a, a lieutenant, I think, and I apologize if I got the rank wrong. He was in the Marines. He was an officer in the Marines. He talks about the way that he talked to his guys when he was in the U.S. military, said that he doesn't think that talking to an offensive line in an NFL locker room should be very different. And maybe that was true for a long time. Maybe it is still true. Maybe locker. Maybe, maybe we're just blowing this out of proportion. And, you know, for me, I want to see, are the Bengals offensive linemen happy? Are they performing? But at the same time, we talked about this when we talked about the message coming in with Zach Taylor and the message of, you know, we know how to talk to these guys in a social media era. I know how to relate to these younger guys who have grown up in a different time. Jim Turner has not. He's actually the oldest coach on the staff now. Uh, I, I saw, I think it was Paul Denner was going through some age statistics on the current Bengals staff or the new staff, I should say. And he's the oldest coach, I think, at 54. And last year they had a handful of coaches older than that. Um, So, you know, that's worth noting that he may be the guy that is the fish out of water amongst this group, even though he was seemingly handpicked by by Zach Taylor. I think more interesting, even if, you know, the extra stuff that happened with the Dolphins and even when he got down to Texas A&M and he was suspended – um, his offensive line units haven't been great. And hearing some of his quotes on some of the players that are currently on the roster scared me just as much. Yeah, he was praising Bobby Hart. He was he, he did he, he sounded regretful about Cedric Obwehi, and there was a quote from Eric McCoy you had today who is an A and M offensive guard who's entered the draft. Center. Yeah, Center. He, he yeah, he entered the early or the draft early. He graduated early. Um there was rumors that Jim Turner, or um, yeah, Jim Turner didn't like that and chewed him out a little bit for leaving early, only to leave a couple weeks later and go to the NFL. But I thought it was interesting today at the combine. You know, each each of these prospects get their time to talk to the media, and he said they asked him, "What are you working on?" This is Eric McCoy, and he said, uh, "I want to be able to to hit these reach blocks better, and I'm taking false steps." So he wants to take less false steps. Something along those lines. That was from Joe Everett, who I met at the Senior Bowl. Good reporter for the NFL Draft. So when I heard that, I was like, man, you know, that's not really a great look for Turner, especially because one of the issues we have with Price right now is hitting those reach blocks, and his his footwork really needed some work in that regard. Um, and here's McCoy saying that's something now he he really needs to learn and work on. Yeah. So it's another guy also you can just take him off the Bengals draft board most likely even if you hear that he's a solid interior line prospect which people are starting to say on draft Twitter as far as I can tell he's probably not on the Bengals draft board because of his history with Jim Turner not great what do you think happened with Callahan do you think that is I mean it's all speculative will we ever find out do you do we think that like maybe Callahan is coming next year when he's off his Washington contract You know, it's weird because when I first heard Taylor and then started to hear who he's rounding his staff with, and this was in January before Taylor was actually hired, um, and they said Brian and Bill Callahan is what I was told. And I was like, really, Bill, too? Because, you know, that got me excited. And they said, yeah, but you know what? There may be some compensation that has to go to the Redskins' way because they're not letting them off the hook just yet. Um, And he wants to get out. He has one year left. He wants to be done with the Redskins, from what I understand. So maybe – he comes in a year because at the time, if you remember, the Bengals interviewed their coaches that they wanted to keep and they 
interviewed uh, Frank Pollock, and he was on. He survived that first wave of cuts. Next thing you know, in that time frame of this next week, uh, third week of January or so, uh, the Redskins owner said Bill Callahan isn't going anywhere this year. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, within a couple of days, Frank Pollock asked to be released, and he went. He went elsewhere. I believe it's the Jets. So I found that interesting that it went that way in, in a, chronologically as if Pollock thought, oh, am I going to be gone in a year anyways? I might as well be able to, might as well go now. Uh, so, you know, I found it all interesting that it went down that way and then they ended up plucking Jim Turner, who, you know, sounds like he didn't have any other NFL offers. So there's a college O-line coach getting, not getting NFL offers. So I don't know if that means in a year he's gone, uh, but I do think that, I don't think 100% he was the number one choice. How how old is how old is Jim Turner? Did you fifty four? I thought it said so. Just a little bit older than Anna Ruma, who's also over fifty. Yes. Would you Would you say that Turner's the hire you feel the worst about? Because he's the hire that I feel the worst out. You know, it's the offensive line, so I think I have to weigh Anna Ruma versus Turner as a full defensive coordinator versus just an offensive line coach. Not to minimize it, but position coach versus someone who's coordinating. Um, so I, I lean, I may lean towards Dan Arumo, even though I don't have, like I've said throughout this entire process, it's hard to evaluate any of these coaches based on their actual coaching because there are a lot of factors that, that are involved, especially when you get a, a promotion from a position coach to a coordinator. So it's really hard for me to say, but knowing my feeling towards Jim Turner and just how he rubs me every time you hear him in an interview or in videos – uh, yeah, he's the one I, I like the least easily. Any that you like the best? I feel like somebody asked us this question, but I, yeah, I, for I, me, it's Brian Callahan. Yeah, and it's because of the analytics part. And I listened to him talk a little bit on a Bengals.com video he sounded uh, great. today. That was a great yeah, video. I, so I watched the whole thing. Yeah, and so if he may be the guy that I, that I like most. It may be by the end of the year, we're like, man, you know, this they're really getting a lot out of James Casey in these tight ends or whatever the case may be. But as of right now, with the little information we have, um, yeah, I would lean towards Callahan. So just to reiterate Joe's disclaimer, we don't know anything about these coaches, especially the ones coming into new positions or coaching in the NFL for the first time. So we have limited information. We'll see how they play out. That's probably all we'll talk about the coaches for a while unless they get into the news again. After this break, we'll start talking about some of the interesting news coming out of the combine today. Wide receivers, quarterbacks, and tight ends weighed in, and the offensive line, and less interestingly for Bengals fans, running backs did their bench press. So after the break, we'll be back to talk about combine day two. This is David Harrison of the Locked On Commanders podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Discover. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Welcome back to the Lockdown Bengals podcast. The NFL scouting combine is continuing. We've got quarterback weigh-ins, really what everyone was waiting for, right? I mean, I'm, I'm sitting here refreshing Charles Robinson's feed on Twitter and just waiting for Kyler Murray to come up as wide receivers and, and tight ends and quarterbacks are getting uh, measured and weighed in. And everyone's waiting for Kyler Murray. So I'll start there just in case you haven't heard. And it's probably posted everywhere already. So you've seen it. But he came in taller and heavier than everyone expected. He came in at 5'10 and 1/8 inch. So he'll be listed at 5'10. And he weighed 207 pounds. So he packed on a lot of weight for this. He's not going to do any drills. He's not going to throw. He's not going to run. He will do that at his pro day. I believe it's March 13th. He also had 9.5 inch hands, which for a short guy, uh, is impressive. That's what you wanted. It's not Russell Wilson over 10 inches. Uh, and the weight, I would say, is probably distributed differently. Uh, people talked about it after that. Wilson lost weight to run fast, and he ran a 4 five, 5 at the combine, whereas Murray is putting on weight uh, to look to show he can bulk up, but to look bigger also. And I, I talked about this with Jake on another podcast when we said uh, I expected him to come at 200 to 205 because 
NFL and football players pack on weight. It's what they do. But baseball players do not. They kind of it's it's come as you are for baseball in terms of your your weight or listed weight. So now that he's committed to football or, or at least says he is, he can put weight on and it shouldn't be a problem, especially for a 21 year old. I think the most interesting thing to me is that he had 28 inch arms, 28 and a, and a half, which is crazy because I don't think anyone had under 30. And we just quickly look, Jake and I, uh, at some historic numbers for, for arm length. And I don't know that it matters at all for quarterback. I'm just saying when you see 28 and a half and I can't find anyone else with 29, he's going to be in the one percentile for arm length. And it may not matter, but you know, it's worth noting that there's another little thing in his size. And we're not, again, we're not saying that 5'10 is, oh, great, take him number one, even though I think it will definitely help him go number one. Uh, he's still an outlier at 5'10, but I think it makes everyone feel a little bit more comfortable, especially because there were so many people that when ta- discussing Murray before the combine was, yeah, but what if he's 5'8 and 175? Well, he's not. And so now we can at least look at it honestly and go from there. Uh, Jake, did you have any other quarterbacks you, you thought were interesting? I just want to note that my wingspan is longer than Kyler Murray's wingspan. Are you the same height as Kyler Murray? I'm taller than Kyler Murray. He is much heavier than me, and he could definitely beat me up. Uh, <laughs> talking about some of the other quarterbacks, Tyree Jackson is a giant, and he should probably be playing tight end. We'll talk about tight end measurements in a little bit, but Tyree They'll, they'll sound a lot like Tyree Jackson, except a little bit shorter. Tyree Jackson is 6'7". According to Joe, he was 5'9". Yeah, coming senior out of high year school. 5'9". Senior year of high school. He weighed in at 249. His hands are 10 and 2 eighths inches. And his wingspan is the biggest wingspan that I saw today, which includes another freak in DK Metcalf. 83 and 6 eighths inches which is a quarter inch short of a seven foot wingspan. Uh, Tyree Jackson is not a quarterback prospect that I'm particularly interested in just because I think there might be too much of a learning curve for him at this point, but there is some promise there too. And we will, we'll talk more about these guys in depth. We're just talking about their dimensions today. Obviously everybody's heard Drew Locke had the nine inch hands, which is small for a quarterback. So everyone's going to go back at yep. the tape and find a rainy day and see if Drew Arkansas. Locke had Arkansas. If you're looking for a rainy day, Joe knows. And, uh, and you want nine and a quarter for hands is the threshold. So anything under nine and a quarter and it's a red flag for quarterbacks. The other guy was also Brett Rippey in Boise state and nine inch hands. Yeah. And the rest of the guys came in, and hit the thresholds that you want to see them hit for quarterbacks. Since I know a lot of you are are Ohio State fans, we'll talk about Dwayne Haskins for you. He is 6'3 and a half, almost 6'3 and a half, came in at 231, slightly larger hands than Kyler Murray. Arms are normal length at 33 and a half inches, so nothing alarming there. I think this is roughly what we expected for Dwayne Haskins. Daniel Jones. That's a beefy. That's a beefy 231 for Haskins, though, at 6'3". It is. That's true. Daniel Jones is another one I'll just point to as a, I think probably people would see this as prototypical size for a quarterback, right? 6'5", 221, almost 10-inch hands. Uh, Will Greer also 6'2 and a half, almost 220. Again, almost 9.5-inch and- hands. And if you go over the five-year averages, it, it Will Greer is right on at at six, at six two and a half and two seventeen. Um, so and and nine and over uh, over nine and a half inch hands. So he is a uh, he passes that filter. We we knew the, most of this from the uh, Senior Bowl, anyways, with Greer. But again, Greer has the analytics box checked, and now he has the size box checked. So again, I keep I'm keep keeping one eye on Will Greer. Yeah, I said I said when we weren't recording that I'm probably more comfortable with Greer later than I am with Haskins in the first round because of my personal feelings about Dwayne Haskins' potential as a quarterback and the value of a, the number 11 pick, but that is a big debate that we probably will not get into today. Anything else on the quarterbacks, Joe, before we move on to look at some of the more interesting freak athletes that we have at wide receiver this year? Yeah, just one other thing. When they uh, run and, and do their drills, those there's really no thresholds for athleticism for quarterbacks, but there is 
uh, test for velocity. So that's going to be one and the final one to look for for the combine uh, for these quarterback prospects. And they, I want to say they got to hit 60 miles an hour. Uh, we'll see who's above or under. And I, I may be wrong on that 60. It's been I only look at it once every year, so it may be less. But we'll 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 hit that when we find out. It usually takes sometimes a week to even get that information. Oh yeah. You said Greer had the highest velocity recorded at the Senior Bowl, correct? They were doing it with a radar gun outside, so it's not comparable, but he mm. did from the people that were at the Senior Bowl. Okay. So those are your quarterback measurements. They will do their workouts tomorrow. Tyree Jackson, it'll be interesting to see how fast he runs. I'm told by my co-host that he is very fast. I have not seen any of Tyree Jackson myself. Anyway. Talking about wide receivers next, before we get into tight ends, we're going to take today in the last segment to do our tight end positional review. So we're going to save the tight ends and the combine and do them last, even though that's a position that might be more interesting to Bengals fans. And there were some absolute monsters at wide receiver, Joe, Nikhil, Harry, JJ, Arcega, Whiteside, DK Metcalf, who everybody expected to be big, and AJ Brown, all in the 225 to 228 range for weight. Uh, AJ Brown is the shortest of those guys at six feet and a half inch DK Metcalf, six, three, almost six, three and a half, uh, also had a nearly seven foot wingspan at 82 and seven, eight inches has nearly 35 inch arms, big hands. So he fit the bill as a physical freak that everybody expected. There were reports saying he had less than 2% body weight, which or body fat, which is probably, Not true because if it is, that's bodybuilder level and, you know, red flag. These are, they do test for it. And, uh, yeah, and if that was reported, it's because usually someone's completely a freak on that. The Twitter experts on body composition seem to be very convinced. And this includes actually, I think, a doctor. Maybe not. That that if that is the body fat percentage, then there's a red flag for a, a drug test. Just because that is bodybuilder level stuff and and not a normal body fat percentage, even for a high end athlete. So, I'm just a side note, really. Uh, right. Our White. <laughs> yeah, no, not at all. Our Sega White side six two two twenty five, and Nikhil Harry. That name is really hard for me for some reason. Six two three eight inches, two twenty eight. So a bunch of guys that are about the size of Bengals wide receiver, seventh round pick. Odd oh, and Tate. And the the interesting about the comparison to Tate is that. Around this time last year, there was a lot of big receivers at the Combine, and everyone was like, ooh, look at this. And then most of them measured way below average, and it affected their draft stock. Uh, you know, thinking of Auden Tate, obviously, was measured like a five-percentile athlete. And while he had some flash plays, there was obviously more to it to him, the, the why he wasn't getting open. Some of that may be because he's not a great athlete. And I, well, my point is, these guys, when they when they test this weekend, are going to have to hit it. And if they don't, we can see them slide a little bit. As the game changes, I think it becomes more about uh, creating separation and lateral agility and explosiveness. And normally, these big guys don't have that ability. And I think that's what hurts them the most and why we can see their draft stock take a hit. So they coming off, off the bus, weighing in, these guys look great. But they're going to have to put the biggest part to this is their athletic testing. Yeah, and, and a couple of interesting guys that we've talked about or you might know, listeners, uh, because you're Ohio State fans or pay attention to the draft. Paris Campbell came in at just under six foot and 205. So that's, I think, probably good news for him, given that he's expected to run. He's he's he, going to be one of the fastest guys. He's going to test combine. like a freak, yeah. Uh, there are questions about his lateral movement, I think, so we'll see how he does in the agility test, but... I think that's probably a pretty good height and weight for him, considering how fast people are expecting him to run. Andy Isabella, uh, a guy who Pro Football Focus likes a lot, I think, five mm-hmm. eight and 6'8", inches, 188, so very small. He's going to run a 4-3 flat. Very fast, very small. Antoine Wesley, who we've talked about in some of our Mock Draft Mondays, is more of uh, the Gumby side of the spectrum instead of the thick, real bodybuilder kinds. He came in at 6'4", 1'8", 206, 
so lankier, nine and six eighths inch hands and 34 inch arms, which was second to only DK Metcalf. So really long guy, uh, again, was in that air raid offense, has a lot of vertical, uh, vertical receiver traits to him. Somebody to keep an eye on as he does the athleticism test tomorrow. Yeah. And one other guy I have actually two guys, one, but first one is, uh, a speed guy from Oklahoma, Marquise Hollywood Brown, he came in much smaller and lighter than expected. Now, this guy is a blazer. He's a Deshaun Jackson type, and he came in under under 5'10", so 5'9 and 3'8", which when they round it, it'll be 5'9", 166 pounds. So that 166 puts him as one of the lightest guys to, to come to the combine in, in the last five years. He's uh, going to be interesting for how this hurts his draft stock either he's going to run go out there and run a 425 and people are going to be like you know what screw it he's a second round pick or he's going to run a 435 which is great but you know not to the point where you can overlook someone being a a, a one percentile in heights and, and weight in terms of nfl receivers so uh, it'll be interesting for that i i have high hopes for him i still like him on tape he's one of the most explosive players in college flip college football but that didn't help him to, to measure the way he did. You know, one other big receiver that you didn't have on there, I don't think, uh, was Hakeem Butler from Iowa State. This guy was highly productive and big possession guy, 6'5 and 3'8, 227, 35 and a quarter arms, 10 and three quarters hands. He, I mean, he's with these guys. He's just a, a monster wide receiver, and there was a lot of them this year. Made me think of Marquise Goodwin there. And Marquis Goodwin at the combine was five nine one eighty three, and Third ran round. a four two seven. Yep, and it took him a couple years too to to fully. These were these. It's funny because we talked about Ross this this week. We talked about Ted Ginn a little bit. Uh, these fast, deep receivers that rely on that trait sometimes take two or three years to hit their stride, sometimes four years. Uh, there's no reason Goodwin should have left the Bills, right? And he ended up being cut, I believe, once, going and playing track and field, came back to the Bills. Now he's a very good weapon for the 49ers. And John Brown is in that mold too, right? Yes, yep, good. He's good a free example. agent. He is. And I thought about that when Ross was rumored to be traded. I thought, well, then you signed John Brown, and you're probably maybe even coming up uh, a leg up this year in 2019. John Brown does some pretty interesting things on tape. That guy doesn't play as small as he is. He is extremely inconsistent, and that's going to be his killer all the time. You know, and you know what? The Ravens' offense was anemic and hard to watch, especially once they went to Lamar Jackson in terms of passing offense. It was hard to get it to a guy like John Brown. It was really just going to be slot guys and tight ends out of that offense. So that killed his value, and I I could definitely see him moving on because of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just a couple notes here before we look at – some more numbers from the combine we did hear on twitter that the bills have been looking at all the top tackles they pick a couple spots ahead of the bengals at number nine so don't be surprised if the bills take a tackle of course this is all very early but they did talk to uh Juwan taylor i believe jonah williams and some of the other top tackles that are entering the draft and there was some interesting news that the Jets today said that they were open to trading back, which when you say that publicly, I think that means that they want to trade back, and we'll see how that plays out as well. The Jets traded up last year, remember, moving from six to three, gave up a couple second-round picks to do so. One of them ended up being the defensive rookie of the year, um, the linebacker for the Colts. That's escaping my mind now, but point Darius being Leonard. that— thank you. He, they moved up to get their quarterback. Now they're in position to move back and try and recoup some of those picks so it makes sense for them. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that goes for them, right? Like they spent a ton of capital last year to get Darnold, and now maybe they can get somebody to trade up for Dwayne Haskins or Kyler Murray, depending on how the draft goes. Remember the Rams traded back with the Redskins when the Redskins went to get RG3? Am I right on that? And then here we are. You know, it was a handful of years later, but then the Rams are the ones trading up to go get Jared Goff. So I, I just I find it interesting. Now, that wasn't the same unit. I like how the Jets may be doing this in back-to-back years and trying to recoup it so you don't lose anything, the, you know, the, the surrounding pieces that you're supposed to put around Aaron, um, Sam Darnold. And I think about when, you know, the Bengals picking 11, and if they did want to go get a quarterback, and if you traded Dalton and started that rookie, 
would they end up with a top six pick next year and regret that move? Or would you be in a, in, in a situation where you can trade back? And I think the Cardinals are in that now, right? They ended up going up and getting Josh Rosen. Now they're picking number one. What do you do? Can you recoup some of the, that value if you do take a quarterback? Yeah, or do you take another quarterback? <laughs> right. Uh, moving on real quick here. The offensive line did bench press today. I don't think, do you know, are there metrics for offensive line bench press? It, you so want like over 20. Minimum? Yeah. Yes. Okay. So all these guys are, we're about to talk about, except Cody Ford did get to 20. So Cody Ford only got to 19, but supposedly, this is clear on video, around rep 16, he felt something in his shoulder, did three more reps, and then called it a day. He'll, he'll redo his bench at his pro day. Cody Ford is a guy that you would expect pretty easily to surpass 20. He's strong. Yeah, so we'll we'll keep an eye on his pro day numbers. I would not say that the, that is a red flag for now unless it's a serious injury, which I suppose we'll learn more about. Initial reports didn't sound serious. Jonah Williams came in at uh, officially 23 reps on the bench. He did 26 and then was docked three because he didn't lock out his arms on a few of the reps. Uh, I think average for offensive tackles is 26 and for interior linemen is 27. Jawan Taylor did 24 reps on the bench, Dalton Reisner 23, and Chuma Adoga, who apparently Bengals fans are supposed to be watching at this combine as a potential day two, day th- early day three tackle. Chuma Adoga, 21 reps on the bench. Uh, Greg Little did not lift. He's another potential first round tackle. And another mid-round guy, Max Sharping, did 27. So, all those guys hit the threshold, and Yanni could just for me. I don't know if any of you Bengals fans have Cedric Abuehi as a comparison for Yanni Kajust in your hand. It's something we've talked about on this podcast a few times. Worth pointing out that they are probably different physically. Kajust did 32 reps on the bench, which blows Abuehi out of the water. What did Abuehi do? Do you have it? It was below 20. Yeah, I remember. I think it, it, was, I think it was 19. You know, I think there was two tackles that have done below 20 in the last whatever years it was. But the Bengals drafted both of them in Andre Smith and Cedric Abuehi. Wasn't uh, the Alabama tackle last year. That's why he fell. Who was the Alabama tackle last year? He went to Baltimore, played right oh, tackle. You, you mean Orlando Brown? Yeah. I was talking about former first-rounders, the guys that went in the first round. Oh, that well, did less that's, than why, that's why Brown fell out of the first round. Yeah, he was Oklahoma, though. But, yes, you're right. So that's it for the bench. All the guys hit the threshold. Kajust was stronger than I expected he would be. Joe, anything else there before we talk about tight ends? You reminded me when you mentioned Bengals fans should watch Chuma Adoga because the NFL.com and Daniel Jeremiah has been, have been doing some videos and which teams match up with which prospects. So they listed Adoga. But they also, I was watching them pair the top quarterback prospects with their ideal teams based on the system and situation. And they paired Daniel Jones out of Duke with the Bengals and Zach Taylor. And they mentioned his RPO history with the with the Duke Blue Devils and how he'd fit well in, in a similar offense that the Rams ran and how it could work with Zach Taylor behind Andy Dalton. They also mentioned how he's probably um, character-wise very similar to Andy Dalton and how the Bengals would like that. I don't know if that's something I agree with or not, but... I can see why they went that way. At best, that seems like a lateral move to me in terms of talent. I agree. I, and the upside is you save $15 million or something. Yeah. And then we talked about that before, right? When we said, you know, uh, even if Dalton is cheap in terms of veterans, he's still last year, let's say, take, let's take last year, he made $16 million, while Jared Goff made $6 million, being the first pick. So mm-hmm. that $10 million, if you're sitting here saying, well, he needs a right tackle before he can be good, well, they're paying him to overcome that right tackle. So if you don't think he can overcome it, well, then you shouldn't pay him. And that that's where we get into the, what do they do in two years? Do you pay him $25 million? Because now you're, you're telling him to overcome that right tackle and right guard or that right tackle and tight end or that right tackle and wide receiver. So... You know, that's the debate. If you don't think he can overcome it, that's when you get another guy that you don't think can overcome it in Daniel Jones, but you save that $20 million and hopefully use it. Yeah, rookie quarterback contracts are the market inefficiency in the NFL. Matt Harmon of Yahoo Sports has a great series on is this quarterback contract worth it? You guys can go give that a look. 
We're going to take one more break and we're going to come back, talk about the tight ends at the combine and the tight ends on the Bengals. Stick with us for that. Hey guys, it's Joe Marino. Being around sports media and a fan of the Buffalo Bills for a lifetime has taught me that sometimes it's exploring the sliding doors moments and what if scenarios in sports that can be the best part of the fan experience. What if the Seahawks let Marshawn run on the one-yard line with the Super Bowl on the line? Or could a coin flip have landed Magic in Chicago, Michael in L.A., and made Charles Barkley the first black president? Enter Wondery's newest sports show, Alternate Routes, a weekly leap into the sports multiverse with former SportsCenter anchors Trey Wingo and Kevin Frazier. Each week on the podcast, Trey and Kevin will pry open the sliding doors of a different what-if moment from the world of sports. In these alternate sports realities, dynasties will fall, legacies will change forever, and new goats will emerge. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts, and you can listen to Alternate Routes early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Welcome back to the Lockdown Bengals podcast. Before we get to the Bengals tight ends, just a few interesting measurements from tight ends at the Combine today. Most notably, I think the guy that stands out the most and not for the right reasons is highly touted tight end prospect Irv Smith from Alabama. Thought to be that second, well, behind the Iowa guys who I grouped together, the second tier of tight end is Irv Smith. He came in at 6'2 and 3'8 inches, 242 with pretty short arms at 34 or sorry 31 and a half inch arms so much smaller than most of these other guys are 64 64 and a half closer to 255 uh 32 and a half to 33 inch arms so Irv Smith is definitely on the smaller side and is this something that we think might cost him in the in the in the draft in terms of position he's you're thinking top top of top around 2 right now yeah and he, it's going to be dependent on how he tests. Now, if you're shorter and you test well, you are he's already going to be viewed as a move tight end, H-back type anyways now with that size. So what's going to happen is, okay, is he Jordan Reed? Is he you know someone I can flex off the side of the line, move in the backfield, put him in the slot? And he may be, but he's going to have to test very well at that size for teams to say, okay, I have a clear idea of what he is. Now, if he tests average, I think he's a good athlete. Uh, and if he tests well, then people will say, okay, here's where he is. This is what he does. And maybe there's more to him uh, than just his size. Because, well, again, we don't want to not completely eliminate someone from the board for their size. But now it raises a red flag in terms of is he limited to a certain role. And Jordan Reed was 6'2 at the combine, 236. So smaller than Irv Smith, probably similar height. Uh Four seven two forty, yeah, and that's just the, the obviously just the uh, the seventy the forty yard dash. But yeah, you're right. It, it's that's, that's why all, I used yeah. him as as an example mm-hmm. because I wanted to. I'm trying to think as I as I go through this, and you know, it's a good website is mockingthedraft.com. As these guys test and, and you know do everything else, they'll give you good comparables. And looking at Jordan Reed, his weight is in the three percentile. His height is in the fourth percentile for at being at six two, so that means Irv Smith's going to be in the you know five six seven eight under ten percentile for tight ends, which means he is small. Yeah, he is. He is a little bit short. I mean, two forty two isn't that small. It's ten pounds lighter than some of these other tight ends. It's still notably bigger than the wide receivers who are the same height. Um, Isaac Nato is another guy that came in similarly sized. He is an inch taller than Irv Smith, uh, but 244, so same weight. The two guys in the top of the class, TJ Hawkinson and Noah Fant, very similar. Uh, the biggest difference between them is arm length and wingspan. Hawkinson was 6'4 and 6'8 inches, Fant 6'4 and 1'8 inch. 251 Hawkinson, 249 for Fant for weight. Nine and a half inch hands for Hawkinson, nine and six eighths for Fant. Man, three quarters. The eighths notation really needs to go NFL. I've gotten so many comments the last couple of days. Why are they using four eighths? And I'm like, it's just the way it is. It is the way it is. Uh, Hawkinson also has, despite being ever so slightly taller, 
uh, about one inch shorter arms. And that shows up in the wingspan as well. Fant comes in with an 80 inch wingspan. So both guys pass thresholds, flying colors, right? They look like prototypical tight ends based on their uh, height, weight, size, arm length, hand size. They're both going to test well, too. This is really going to be a test for everybody to contain themselves, I think, after this week. Not only only do I think uh, Hawkinson's going to test really well, Fant's going to blow him out of the water and make him look average because Fant is a freak and just jumps off the tape when when you see him run downfield and just blow there's a there's a corner cover him that probably is going to run a four four five and he blows past him with 50 pounds on this guy so uh it's going to be interesting and everyone's going to have to contain themselves a little bit because you're not you know we're going to talk about tight ends we've already done this but we're going to talk about these two much much more after this weekend yeah and the other guys that we've talked about on mock draft mondays and such jay sternberger 6'4 251 32 inch arms so all the rest of the guys on this list are are looking fairly prototypical yeah uh, one exception caleb wilson who despite hitting the height six four and a quarter only 240 pounds so he's more svelte than the other tight end prospects and I don't expect that to show up when he met when he tests. When you watch the film, and he was extremely productive too. He's going to be an interesting one, right? So size wise, mostly there except for the weight. Production wise, he's going to hit all the, the the markers that you're looking for. I don't think he's going to test well. He don't, at least he doesn't look like it on tape. He may surprise everyone and be like, well, "Where is that coming from?" But uh, if he doesn't, so it's going to be a very production type of guy versus analytics in terms of uh measurements and man i i I think if he doesn't test well that's what shows up on tape yeah so it is a very interesting group i think at tight end i think it's a pretty deep group uh there's some raw guys that i haven't mentioned by name yet but uh dawson knox is one that we've talked about he's got that same prototypical height weight combination he's actually bigger than fant we'll have to see how he runs see how he does in the agility drills but a really interesting group, I think, at tight end in terms of uh, physical builds and and physical attributes for some of the guys that don't have the production checks done. So honestly, for me, Joe, actually, this has me kind of going off of tight end in the first round because I think that linebacker is incredibly thin at the top. And tackle, if you miss out on that second tier you're kind of scrambling unless you know, I don't know, not necessarily, but for me, it's like, it gets tough to find linebackers and tackles after 40 and in the mocks that I've done in the mocks that I've seen. So it kind of has me looking at tight end and in, in round three at this point. And tight ends have been all over the place. When you look at the best in the league from first rounders, second rounders, third rounders, you can find these guys all throughout the draft. It's really the luck of the draw. I feel like you can, really get an impact guy even if we're waiting to the third round um so I, while i it's a great class and you know there's two minds i wonder how you feel about this jake in a great class for one position let's say it's even wide receiver running back whatever it may be if you feel it's a great class do you want to take the best of the great class or do you feel like it's more beneficial or you get a higher chance of hitting if you kind of let it fall a little bit and maximize the value in round two three or even four and then take a guy Uh, It's going to depend on the year. So this year, specifically, talking about these three positions, the talent at the top for linebacker, less so. But for tackle, the talent at the top for tackle, I think, is pretty good. I'm definitely interested in getting one of those top guys at tackle because while it's good at the top, the depth doesn't seem to be there at that position, at least right now. We never know how it's going to play out. Tight end has two really premium guys at the top. And then there's a lot of depth where I think it's harder to distinguish what you might get at the NFL level from some of these guys. So when you're talking tackle and tight end, I'm taking the premier tackle this year. Yeah, and I can understand that. And especially because there is a steeper cliff with tackle. If you don't get a guy in the first two rounds, don't expect him to start this year. Whereas tight end, it's a developmental position anyways, even if you're taking a guy at number 10, 11. Uh, so you can wait until the second, third, fourth round and get similar production if a guy, if you pick the right guy. Yeah. And it's going to depend. Like, so to, to generally answer your question, it's, it's totally depend. Like you can't, you can't generally answer because it's so 
team specific and draft class specific. But for me, the answer is if there's a position that I, I need on my team, either this year or going in the future, if that class is strong at the top and it's shallow, I'm, I'm prioritizing that strong at the top but shallow position. Now, what also factors into this, because you said it depends on the team, the Bengals' top three tight ends are all free agents. And we're to get into our position review, which is tight end, that's why we led it this way. Uh, does it increase? Like, do you target this if all three guys are gone or if you only are able to retain one? Is it like, man, the pressure at tight end at that point, is it just as strong as as right tackle and linebacker? Well, the Bengals have operated without a tight end for years, right? Before Gresham and Eifert, there was essentially no tight end on the Bengals. They had extra linemen, you know? Yeah, Reggie Kelly. Yeah, Reggie Kelly, who's a great player in his own right. But I just remembering the amount of balls that tight ends dropped that Carson Palmer threw. Daniel, what was his name? Daniel Coates. Daniel Coates. J.P. Foshy. Oh, I mean. That was you, hell. <laughs> you, you, you remember those years and you're like, oh, maybe tight end isn't such a luxury. Maybe we need something competent at that position. That being said, that doesn't mean you need to spend a first-round pick on it. So when you're comparing, like, would I rather have a blue-chip tight end or a blue-chip linebacker? Probably tight end, to it's, be honest. It's a tough question, right? I think some people may listen to this and say, what? I'd way rather have the blue-chip linebacker. But that blue-chip linebacker can't cover that blue-chip tight end, right? No, and, and, and the blue-chip linebacker... I mean, I don't know. Then you're talking about, would you rather have like Bobby Wagner, Luke Keekley, or would you rather have, you know, Gronk and prime or George Kittle or, uh, Travis Kelsey, Travis Kelsey. That gets a little bit harder for me. That is much harder. But but if it's, but if it's it's harder to find Wagner and and Keekley, right? Yes. But if it's Gronk, I'm taking Gronk. Gronk and Gronk's prime. Gronk's a Hall of Famer. He may be the best receiving tight end of all time, and he's a good blocker in his own right. And and Keekley might be a Hall of Famer, and Bobby Wagner might be a Hall of Famer. Yeah, it's tough. It's a tough question, and that's why you it comes down to positional value. You know, screw the position, and will are either of these guys blue chip, and who do you feel the most confident, and you take them from there. It does get really hard when you talk about positional value of some of the positions, like wide receiver, tight end, linebacker. Because everybody around the league will look at quarterback and be like, yep, you need quarterbacks. And look at defensive line and offensive line. Yep, you need those positions to succeed, most people would probably argue. Cornerback, same deal. And then you get into safety, linebacker, receiver, running back, tight end. It gets a little more nebulous about how to differentiate the tiers of value at those positions. But we're talking about tight ends today. So looking at what's currently on the roster for the Bengals now, they have four tight ends under contract for 2019. None of them have a dead cap hit, so they're essentially on the hook for $0 at the tight end position if they decide to draft guys, sign guys in free agency, bring any of their free agents back. But the four guys that are under contract, Mason Shrek, Seathan Carter, Jordan Franks, and Andrew Vollert. I've actually not heard of him. I think he was a futures contract guy. Uh, $2.3 million in total allocated to these tight ends. Mason Shrek being the largest contract at $661,000. He was drafted last year in the seventh? Two years ago. Two yeah, years from ago. Buffalo. Seventh round. Um, I kind of expect Shrek and or Carter to be back just because they're under contract. They're cheap. But the real question is, how do they fill in the rest of their positional spending at tight end? Last year, they were at $9 million against the cap, which is very average in the NFL for that position. They got Eifert back on a one-year deal that had a cap hit under $5 million. CJ Uzama and Tyler Croft were both on their rookie contracts. I think Joe and I agree that if we were to pick only one guy to bring back is CJ Uzama, and if it's two guys, it's probably Eifert and Uzama. Joe, yes. you, you worked out some estimated figures, what you think these might realistically look like for Eifert and Uzama. Yeah, and even Croft. I uh, I think Eifert probably has the structure already laid out completely. Exactly what he got last year, you give him that same contract again. And I think unless other teams get into a, a, a bid on there, which they didn't last year, so it would be surprising. Apparently, there's been reports that Dallas is interested 
and saying that they're doing their homework on Eifert. Uh, that makes sense. Jalen Smith is a friend of his. Also, uh, brother-in-law, I believe, is Nick Martin, their right guard. So uh, that could make sense. But also there was news that Jason Witten will, will come out of retirement and return to the Dallas Cowboys. So maybe they want uh, two guys that are going to split time and, and to to you know yeah. get one full tight end out of it. So yeah. for me, I think Eifert deal makes sense of what he had last year. And then I come to C.J. Ozama. I put three years, $12 million, which is $4 million a year. I think that puts him in tight end number two range without killing your cap. Again, if the Bengals want to get to where they were last year, what, like you said, was average at $9 million. Mm-hmm. Uh, giving him $4 million wouldn't kill you at all. I think you could even give Croft uh, uh, two years at two and a, two to $2.5 million a year. And so say two, two years, $5 million at max. Um, that could put him on the low end of tight end two, almost in the tight end three veteran range. And you could pay those guys cumulatively six and a half million dollars and would allow you to invest a premium pick and, and multiple mid round or late round picks at tight end and still feel comfortable that you're not overspending at that position. And I think that could be fair for them. I wouldn't be surprised if, if Uzama gets a little bit more interest out there in the league and ends up getting a little bit more per year, maybe even $5 million per year. And if that's the case, I wonder if the Bengals would still be interested. I don't think they want to lose all three, but at the same time, uh, I don't think any of them are number one type tight ends, so you don't want to break the bank for them. And I think if they do bring Eifert back, he won't be the only one they bring back. I don't think they could possibly feel comfortable with going into the season with Tyler Eifert, draft pick, undrafted rookies mason shrek Ethan carter so i think if they bring eifer back they're trying to get one of those other two guys too and at that point you're already probably at or above that nine million nine million dollar mark from last don't, year don't forget jordan franks also he got injured but he stood out a lot in camp he's more of a move tight end kind of an h-back role he was really athletic and really explosive and he had, he had some penalties on special teams also but at 23 years old, there may be some upside there as a backup or, or role player. Tight ends notoriously take a while to develop. So I, I am still interested in Shrek, Ethan Carter, and Jordan Franks just to see what they can do. Uh, but at the same time, you know, what do you get from – we know what we get out of Eifert and when he's healthy. He's an elite receiving tight end. I think Uzama has gotten better at the receiving game. I think he's developed l- – leaps and bounds as a run blocker he used to be just a move guy he was able to do more wide tight end stuff this past year and because of his size and natural strength he's gotten so much better as a as a blocker i think some of his stiffness limits him as as uh as a move blocker and that may always be there but as a total i think he's the guy that's reaching his potential more than croft croft seemed to have maxed out year two as a blocker Never got much stronger than that. I think injuries have, have, have dealt with it uh, or have played a part in there. He was more of the wide tight end, inline blocker, former receiver at, at Rutgers or going, coming into Rutgers. So he has vertical speed. He tracks the ball a little bit better than Uzama does. I think he even catches better than Uzama, even though the year he had seven touchdowns, he also had a lot of drops. So Croft is a guy that I felt like has never even gotten close to what I thought his potential could be, but he's been a solid contributor so I'd like to keep him just to see maybe if he puts together a full year, uh, he could magically take a leap in his development. Yeah, and I don't see them committing enough money to the position to bring all three of these guys back. Me either. And I think they want to draft one too, right? Which is going to be another million and a half or something like that. On... If it, if it's a high pick, if they wait to the third round, then they're really not spending much. Yeah, it, it's... It's a little tricky, though, when you start to think about how much money they're possibly going to spend. The Patriots led the league last year at $16.7 million. The Bengals aren't going to touch that number. So if Eifert gets an offer for $7 million, he's gone. Yeah. If, and if then, Uzama if, gets an offer for exactly. $5 million, uh, that gets really uncomfortable for the Bengals, right? And that's why I brought up that if you get in that situation where they maybe they only sign Croft and for a few million bucks and – coming off an injured year well you're still primed to invest i mean would you rather spend because you could sign let's say eifer and uzama 10 million dollars total between the two of them or would you rather go spend that money on a starting right tackle and i think that's what it comes down to is well maybe we do draft a tight end that that will come in and at least be our number two and we resign uzama or croft and then we can spend this money on either a linebacker or a starting lineman 
And then you're relying on a rookie tight end. Exactly. And that's part of the issue. But when you look at the Rams offense, they didn't really use their tight end. You have three good receivers. You have running backs that can catch the ball. We looked at some of the best offenses in the league. Think of the Saints. Think of think of the uh, Patriots and how often those teams throw to their running backs to get mm-hmm. those underneath targets. And, and that's what the Bengals should be doing with, with Mixon and Geo. So if you draft a guy and you're relying on a rookie and he's not producing right away because sh- you really shouldn't have high expectations. But if that's the case, those running backs, that's what they're there for and they could really help. It is a pretty deep free agent class at tight end. Worth noting, Jesse James, CJ Uzama, uh, Xavier Grimble from Pittsburgh, Clive Walford from New York, Zach Miller, the veteran in Chicago, uh, Max Williams, one of the Balt- one of the many tight ends in Baltimore. I'd be interested in Max Williams. For sure. And Jesse James. I always like Jesse James. I, I think Pittsburgh is... Uh, They've soured on him a little bit, but he always gave Dunlap problems in blocking. He's hurt the Bengals for sure. Deion Sims in Chicago, Jared Cook in Oakland, Austin Safarian Jenkins, Luke Wilson from Detroit, Mercedes Lewis still around, Demetrius Harris, Lance Kendricks. So quite a few tight ends are free agents. There, there aren't very many like game changers on this list. Tyler Eifert is really only one to a lesser extent. Jared Cook creates some of those similar mismatch problems, but Tyler Eifert's ball skills I just would hate to see that go. I, I want I to see too. him play for the Bengals and pick balls off of linebackers' nameplates. Even if it's in watch. a reduced role, right? Even if he's playing sure. 30% of the snaps. Sure. Because even last year, I believe he was he was playing wide receiver 70% of the time he was out on the field. And so he's basically, at that point, just a move chess piece to, to help your offense. And we saw the impact it had. Uh, I think the two young guys that teams are going to target, though, maybe Demetrius Harris and C.J. Uzama for like the Trey Burton types of, of last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out there. Again, like Joe said, there's rumored interest in Eifert from Dallas. Would not be shocking to me if L.A. is interested again. But Brian Callahan did mention when in that Bengals.com interview, he saw he was surprised, I think he said, or maybe not surprised, but wasn't aware of just how good the Bengals offense was in the first four games of the season last year. And he, he credits Eifert with a lot of that. So I think Callahan might want Eifert back. And how could you not when you see what he does when he's healthy? Yeah, and that's a big part of mismatches in today's league is having that guy that can declare what the defense is doing. And for the Bengals, that was Tyler Eifert. And we've talked about Andy Dalton being so good at pre-snap, right? One of his weaknesses is when the defense changes into a post-snap look, that doesn't match the pre-snap look and it can confuse Dalton, force him to hold the ball or panic a bit in the pocket. Well, Eifert negates that. He, when he splits out wide or moves out, if you send a safety over there, well, now we know it's man coverage and we know you can only play with a single high safety. So it's either cover one or cover three. If you send a linebacker out there again, it's man coverage. And now it, it opens up the middle of the field and it's a mismatch. Now you feel really good about Eifert one-on-one with, with, with a linebacker. If the corner stays out there and no one follows, then we know it's zone. And now the safeties are going to have to, one's usually shaded towards AJ green and it'll leave one guy in the middle of the field. And it, it just, it gives them so many options and it makes the defense just really say, this is what we're playing. And we can't afford to roll coverages or, or have late motion because we're going to get killed by these weapons, especially being Tyler Eifert. Uh, so that's why I think it helps Dalton so much to have a guy like that. Yeah. I, I, I want to see Tyler Eifert stay. That, that's where I'm at on Tyler Eifert. I want him to remain a Bengal. He's one of my favorite Bengals. I want him to have a healthy year. And all of his injuries have been fluke injuries too. So maybe he will have a healthy year. That's what I'm going to wrap this conversation up with is let Tyler Eifert have a healthy year, football gods. And mine to wrap it up is I'm more afraid that he's going to go somewhere else and be completely healthy and dominate, and that scares the shit out of me. On that depressing note, that has been Locked On Bengals. Joe, anything happy to say before we let these people go? Who they? Who they think going to beat them Bengals? That's it for Joe and I. We will see you tomorrow for the mailbag. Get those <laughs> questions in. We'll see you tomorrow. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. 
Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.